Hi, I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support, because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. I don't know, I've had a chance recently to watch a couple movies about recovery. I watched uh, Beautiful Boy, and I watched Ben is Back. And all I will say, I don't want to give any spoilers, but... Ben is back is very traumatic. Um, it definitely shows the harsh realities, and there is really little to no hope whatsoever in that movie. It's a weird thing. I don't think anybody's running around thinking heroin has like vitamins and minerals in it. I think by now everybody knows it's deadly. Uh, pretty much everybody knows that there is fentanyl in it, and yet we still have movies that do. All they do is show the negative side of addiction instead of showing the reality of recovery. And that's one thing that I'd really like to see a little bit more of, honestly, is the reality of recovery in movies. Uh, At least we got some of that in Beautiful Boy a little bit. Um, But man, Ben is back. It was rough. I watched it. uh, There was... For the first time uh, at the Recovery Community Center, Saturday, uh, somebody who has a couple recovery residences had their residences over to watch it, and um, needless to say, there was definitely some psychological first aid that was done after that movie was over, as well as a discussion of harm reduction, uh, hey, there's narky in here, do you know how to use it if you don't? Um, we can teach you as well as if you have a family member or somebody you care about who's still actively using, send them by the Recovery Community Center and we can train and equip them for free with Narcan because everybody deserves to live. And I think that's going to bleed over kind of into my, uh, my next statement. Everybody has worth. Everybody. It doesn't matter if somebody is still actively using, if somebody is in recovery, if somebody's never used drugs before, everybody has value and worth. And for some weird reason, uh, a lot of times we seem to sandbag some of the people that are still actively using. And the honest to God truth is they need compassion, empathy, and love just as much, if not more than everybody else. Uh, In fact, that person still actively using or that newcomer, honestly, uh, we should probably put in a little extra work whenever it comes to somebody like that. You know, there's a saying that you should never work harder than the person you're working with. And I personally think that that statement is a load of crap. If I have higher expectations for somebody who's still actively using or early in recovery than I do for myself, maybe I'm in the wrong profession. And maybe I shouldn't volunteer my time because honestly, those are the people who need attention and love the most. Um, So that's kind of where I'm going with that, honestly, is uh, we need to start treating everybody with compassion and love instead of judgment. 
And that's going to lead me into my next thing that I want to rant on a little bit. Uh, there seems to be these divisions uh, within the recovery community, and it's really frustrating sometimes. I, I want to make it as clear as I possibly can. If somebody is going to 12-step meetings and not using, they're not in 12-step assisted recovery, they're in recovery. If somebody is going to church um, and that and is that's what's helped them stay sober, uh, they're not in Jesus-assisted recovery, they're in recovery. If somebody's going to smart recovery, they're not in secular-assisted recovery, they're in recovery. If somebody is prescribed medication and they're not using, they're not in medicated-assisted recovery, they are in recovery. Recovery is recovery is recovery, and we need to stop trying to feel like our recovery is better than everybody else's, or everybody else has to do the exact thing that we did. You know, I uh, I read something uh, at one of the at a meeting that I went to Saturday. It was uh, from a Toronto International AA conference, and it was by Bill Wilson. And basically, Bill Wilson said that one of his biggest fears. Uh, with the program was dogma setting in. And uh, give me a second and I'll see if I can find that quote. Uh, unfortunately, I know it's on my phone, but I can't really get on my phone because that's what I'm taping on. But I mean, we have so many people that, that have dead set in their head that because this is how I got sober, this is the way everybody else has to get sober or find recovery. And the truth is there's multiple pathways to recovery. And we need to start supporting those instead of shaming people or correcting people because they're not using, but they're not doing it our way. You know, um, I, I think that's one of the biggest mistakes we can possibly make. And I think it definitely sets people up for failure whenever we think that everybody's recovery has to look exactly like mine because it's a load of crap. Um, in fact, I hope that your recovery doesn't look like mine. I hope that your recovery looks exactly like yours and that you're comfortable doing it because ultimately at the end of the day, you may walk away from me if I'm your sponsor or your mentor. And if you're not doing something that you actively like, then you're not going to continue doing it. You know, I remember uh, a couple years ago talking to a physical trainer at a, uh, at one, I mean, a personal trainer at the gym and I was wanting to lose weight, and I was talking to him about uh, which cardio equipment I should use. And I'm like, you know, you've got this rowing machine. You've got this elliptical climber. You've got a treadmill. Uh, you've got the Stairmaster. You've got um, a sit-on bike and kind of a recumbent bike. I was like, which one of those is the, the best thing for me to burn calories? And he said, well, which one of those do you like to do? And I was like, well, I've always liked to do the elliptical. And he said, well, the elliptical is the one you're going to burn the most calories on. It's going to be the best one for you. And I said, well, okay, but, but what if I would have told you that I like the, the rowing machine? Um, that's what I like to do. He said, then I would have looked at you and told you that's the one you're going to burn the most calories on. Um, that's the one you need to do. He said, the truth is, it doesn't matter what I tell you is going to be best for you. What matters is what you enjoy doing, because if you don't enjoy doing it, then you're not going to continue doing it. You might do it for a little while, but eventually you're going to stop doing it. So it's best for you to find something that you actually like. And I thought that made a whole lot of sense. Now, if me with the program of humility that I'm supposed to be working actively 
assign my recovery values onto you, you're not working your recovery. In fact, what's really weird is when I work a humble program and yet I feel everybody has to do it the exact same way I do. I don't know about you, but I find that kind of the opposite of humility, honestly. I mean, humility says I I have one way to do it. Um, And there are also other ways to do it. It's not always going to look at mine. You know, I remember one of the going to a, uh, man, going to a, uh, a meeting whenever I first got started and I asked this person, I said, what is the absolute best I said, what is the absolute best? No. He said, here's what you need to realize. He said a couple things. People are going to tell you relapse is part of the problem. I mean, it's part of the process. He said, and for some people, it is part of the process. But the truth is, not everybody's going to relapse. He said, but what I need to tell you is this. Number one, you never have to use again. And number two, you're going to hear a lot of people's opinions when you come inside these rooms. He said, you need to take what works for you and throw the rest away. Don't fixate on what's different or what doesn't work for you. Fixate on the things that are going to work for you. And I really liked what he had to say. Um, Unfortunately, it didn't work out extremely well for me. And I kind of found my own thing to do. You know, and then I've over time have kind of came back. So here's that quote that I was talking about. Uh, Bill Wilson at the 1965 uh, International AA Convention in Toronto said, it's a historical fact that practically all groupings of men and women tend to become more dogmatic. Their beliefs and practices harden and sometimes freeze. This is a natural and almost inevitable process. All people must, of course, rally to the call of their convictions, and we of AA are no exception. Moreover, all people should have the right to voice their convictions. This is good principle and good dogma, but dogma also has its liabilities. Simply because we have convictions that work well for us, it becomes very easy to assume that we have all the truth. Whenever this brand of arrogance develops, we are certain to become aggressive. We demand agreement with us. We play God. This isn't good dogma. It's very bad dogma. It could be especially destructive for us of AA to indulge in this sort of thing. Newcomers are approaching AA at the rate of tens of thousands yearly. They represent almost every belief and attitude imaginable. We have atheists and agnostics. We have people of nearly every race, culture, and religion. In AA, we're supposed to be bound together in the kinship of a common suffering. Consequently, the full individual liberty to practice any creed or principle or therapy, whatever, should be a first consideration for us all. Let us not, therefore, pressure anyone with our individual or even our collective views. Let us instead accord each other the respect and love that's due to every human being as he tries to make his way towards the light. Let us always try to be inclusive rather than exclusive. Let us remember that each alcoholic among among us is a member of AA so long as he or she declares. I love that. You know, even 1965, I suck at math, but I'm going to say that's over 50, you know, 54 years ago. We had Bill Wilson saying, listen, people are going to become so rigid in their views that they're going to block other people out. And I'm afraid that that could happen in the fellowship. And that's kind of what I see a lot of times, especially when I see people who are not accepting of other people's pathways. You know, and as a Christian and somebody in recovery, I I see it 
quite often from both of those viewpoints. You know, well, if you, if you don't have Jesus, you're not going to stay sober. I know atheists that have been sober for decades. I'm going to say that's probably not true. You don't have, no, have to know Jesus to be sober. You know, if you want to get into a whole discussion of salvation, that's a completely religious one. We're talking about a sobriety discussion here. So we'll just leave the religious discussion for another podcast. I think everybody knows how I feel about that as a Christian, but we're not talking about that. What we are talking about is people's recovery and people's sobriety. And I really, we really need to focus on being more accepting. I also see that from uh, people that come from some of the rooms. I'm not going to say everybody's that way, just not like not everybody in church is that way. You know, uh, I believe in being relational. What that means is I believe there's multiple pathways to recovery. My pathway came through Christ. But I don't think I have to hit somebody upside the head with a, a Gutenberg version of the King James Bible to get somebody sober. I think that I need to love on people and show them compassion and respect, unconditional positive regard, treat them like a human, whether they're using, whether they're sober, whether their recovery looks like mine or their recovery is completely different. Because I think that's how we get to people. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And we've really got to love on people. And I think there's not enough of that going around. Instead, we're too busy standing on our mountain looking down at everybody else going, hey, you know what? Sorry, you're not working steps and you don't have a sponsor. You're not going to stay sober. Well, the truth is, I mean, we've got a percentage of people that have gotten sober through the rooms and it works amazing and it has worked incredible for millions of people. But you know what? I believe any program works if you work it. You know, that's one of the work it. You know, it works if you work it. It sucks if you don't. That's the same with anything. I can say that about smart recovery. You know what, if you're going in there and you're working all the tools, you know what, it's going to work. And if you're not, then you're going to have problems. I can say that about Celebrate Recovery, about Refuge Recovery. I bet you could even say that about Wellbriety. I just don't know Wellbriety enough to say that myself. You know, but I believe everything out there, if people are applying themselves, it's going to work. And they need to find what they want to apply themselves to. You know, uh, that's one of the the... The main concepts of a peer is I don't have your answers. And I think there's a lot of uh, therapists that are doing it that way too, right? We're working strengths-based. We're Rogerian. We're, you know, uh, we're very, very positive psych. You know, we're sitting there and saying, listen, I think you know what you want to do. So let's figure out what you like, what you want to do, what's worked in the past. And let's figure out how you can start doing that every single day and carrying it out. Instead of me going, well, you know what? I go to these meetings. You need to go to these meetings. You know what? I go to this sect of a religion. You need to go to this sect of a religion. You know what? My holy book is the, uh, I don't, Bhagavad Gita, just because that one's always been fun to say. You know, uh, the Quran, the Bible. So you have to read the book that I'm reading in order to stay sober. No, you don't. You know, sobriety, religion and sobriety are like this for some people. Sobriety and spirituality are like this for some people. Um, for other people, sobriety is sobriety. You know, I mean, there's people out there that have sobriety that boggles my mind. I've got a friend that I used to use with back in the day, and he got sober uh, back uh, in like 98, 99. He's been a bartender since 98, 99, and 
he has a shift drink some nights. And you know what? He has still remained in recovery. He drinks in moderation. For me, that blows my mind because that's not something I can do. But just because I can't do it doesn't mean other people can't. And I really need to stop acting like if I can't do it, then nobody else can either. Or if this is what helps me, then that's the only thing out there that helps me. Because honestly, we're hurting people. We are holding people down. We are setting people up for failure because we're treating them like their recovery isn't real because it doesn't look exactly like ours does. So um, hopefully if that's you, this message is falling on fertile ground. Uh, you know, I, I realize that, that some of us have just got plugged in because we've seen all these people, we've surrounded ourselves by all these people that our program works for, but we forget there's 23 and a half million people in long-term recovery in the United States. Last time I saw estimated numbers in the United States for people in 12-step groups was somewhere around 5 million. So what that means is that's what? One, uh, I stink at math once again, uh, like one fifth, like maybe a fifth uh, of the people. So what about the other four fifths of the people that are in long-term recovery that aren't doing it your way? You know, I think I've talked about it before where we uh, had a huge diabetes study. It was people that were uh, borderline type two diabetes. And what they did is they said, hey, we're going to make counseling and support groups available to you. So that you don't develop, so that you don't go, de, in, so that you don't develop type two diabetes. So uh, what they found out is four percent of the people in the study, whenever they found out, um, they just stopped. They 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 stopped eating poorly. They started getting exercise. Stopped living such a sedentary lifestyle, and four percent of the people in the study did not develop type two diabetes. Um. There was another 7% of the people in the study that through the support groups uh, were able to make the life changes they needed to so that they didn't develop type 2 diabetes. And that's awesome. That means 11% of the people that were borderline type 2 diabetes either through either on their own through making lifestyle changes because type 2 diabetes is a lot like addiction. Um, it is a disease, but there are also some genetic and environmental factors that play a huge part in it just like with substance use we also see that adverse childhood experiences which we call aces and mental health trauma also are another indicator of people that will eventually develop substance use disorder you know we know that there's those uh cues in there but what we need to look at is the other 89 percent of the people in the study you know what happened with the other 89% of the people in this type 2 diabetes study? They eventually had to get on medication. Now, if we were to talk to the 7% of people in the support group that it worked for, you know, the 7% of the study that the support group worked for, and were to say, so if you decide that you want to get sober, do you need, I mean, if you decide that, if you find out that you're type 2 diabetes, do you, is it a death sentence? It, it, are you eventually going to have to get on medication? Or do you think that uh, people can just go to support groups and get off and, and not have those problems and better their life? And they're going to say, well, of course. I mean, everybody that I spent time with, years with in that group, was able to make life change just with that group. People don't need medication. Now, uh, that leaves out 
the 89% of the people who needed medication. And I'm not saying 89% of people with a substance use disorder need medication. What I am saying is some people need medication. Some people need Jesus. Some people need church. Some people need synagogue. Some people need um, a psychiatrist, a uh, psychologist. Some people need a therapist. Some people need treatment. Some people need 12 steps. Some people need smart recovery. Different people have different needs and we can't act like everybody has the exact same needs. You know, and we also can't sit there on a high horse and say, just because this worked for me means it works for everybody because it's just not true. Right. Um, personally, I try to go, I try to spread myself around a little bit, if that makes sense. I don't think we can have too many tools. What that means is I, I enjoy going to church. I enjoy going to celebrate recovery. I enjoy attending 12-step meetings. I enjoy, I've attended refuge recovery. I enjoy going to smart recovery groups. I think that really what we need to do, I mean, who has so many tools that they don't need anything else? Maybe I need to branch out every once in a while and get some more tools instead of just sitting there working with the exact same thing. Now, if what you're doing, if you're going to church and that works for you, guess what? Keep going to church. If you're going to 12-step meetings and that works for you, keep going to 12-step meetings. If you're going to smart recovery and that works for you, keep doing it. If you're on medication that works for you, keep doing it, right? But don't sit there and look down on other people whose recovery is not the same as yours like they're going to fail, like their recovery isn't valid. Because recovery is recovery is recovery is recovery. And as long as you're sober, oh my God, that's amazing. In fact, if you're chasing recovery and you're still actively using, that's amazing. In fact, if you get high tomorrow morning and show up at a therapist's desk tomorrow, that's amazing because you're showing up there of your own volition. You're there because you want to change. If there's a syringe access in your community and you show up at the syringe access tomorrow to get sterile syringes so that you're not getting HIV, hep C, or sharing it with other people, thank you. That's amazing. Even that's a form of recovery because recovery is living a self-directed life where you're improving your health and wellness and you're striving to attain your full potential and is getting sterile syringes instead of sharing them. Is that improving your health and wellness? Absolutely. You know, is that self-directed? Absolutely. And it gives you an opportunity to be well. And you know what? From there, the sky is the limit. So I know I've railed on this a little bit, but I'm sick and tired of seeing people use their recovery and look down on other people. And I've seen it this week from multiple sources. And I've kind of called a couple of them out, right? And I, I always will. And yet I'm a part uh, of them also. And that's why I feel like I can't be silent. I can't be silent when I see people it, in church throwing stones at other people because their recovery doesn't include Jesus going, well, you're going to relapse and you're never going to stay sober because you don't believe in Christ. You don't have to believe in Christ to be sober, Right? You may have, a, like I said earlier, you may have a salvation thing that you believe, but that's completely different from sobriety, right? That's different. And in all honesty, if I keep chasing people away, nothing gets a chance to work on them. 
I also see that from people who go to different kinds of meetings where they want to look down on other people that don't go to the same types of meetings they do and say, well, if you're not doing this and doing this and doing this like I am it with my program of humility, with my humble program, if it doesn't look exactly like mine, then you're not going to make it. You're just faking it. You're just fooling yourself. You're really a dry drunk. You're a dry bag. You know what? Screw you guys. For real. Uh, we, we've got to love on people, not chase them away. So I, I, I'm going to calm down and breathe. Sorry, this was a rant live stream. I think this is the first one of these that I've had where it was like all a rant. But in all honesty, we're killing people and we're setting people up for failure because we're not letting them find the thing that works for them. We're making them do what worked for us. You know, I, I mean... I love meetings. I love taking people to meetings, but I don't just take them to one kind of meeting. Have you ever been to a meeting before? No. Okay. You know what? How about you try a smart recovery? How about you try a 12 step? In fact, how about you try a couple of those? Cause there's a couple different kinds. How about you try a celebrate recovery? And if you have a faith base and if you have a different faith base, let's talk about that. In fact, as a Christian, I can't wait until April when the refuge recovery starts at Springfield Recovery Community Center. It is based on uh, Buddhist principles of mindfulness and meditation. It starts off with meditation and then breaks into a group. And I cannot wait for that to start so I can go to it. Meditation and being calm and quiet is a really difficult thing for me. And anybody that knows me knows that's absolutely 100% true. So next month, we're starting that refuge recovery at the Springfield Recovery Community Center. Um, and as soon as people hear Buddhists, they're like, oh, but you know what? Mindfulness and meditation are amazing. They're awesome. They teach you how to focus and how to center. So I'm super, super glad we're going to have that. And uh, we're also starting an exercise group. Uh, it'll be, it's for women, but it's a 45-minute uh, exercise group that's followed by a 45-minute Bible study. Uh, I think those are the only two really new groups that we have coming up. But honestly, um, I love you. And if you're in recovery, like I said, and I want to end by saying what I started with. Okay, I lied. Um, I am going to rant a little bit more. If you are not using today and it's because you go to a mutual support group, you do not have mutual support group. <laughs> wow, that one's even kind of weird as you say it. Um you do not have a mutual support group assisted recovery. You just have recovery. If you are not using and you're going to church, you don't have Jesus or Allah or Shiva assisted recovery. You have recovery. If you are prescribed medication, you don't have medicated assisted recovery. You have recovery. Recovery, 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 recovery. Stop sitting there and making somebody feel like their recovery is lesser because it's assisted. Because everybody's recovery is assisted. You know, I mean, my recovery is caffeine assisted. There's a medicine right there. That's a medication. That's a drug. You know, how many people's is sugar? How many people's is nicotine assisted recovery? And yet we want to look at other people and say, well, you're taking medication that your doctor prescribed you. How dare you? You know, while we're sitting there smoking a cigarette or vaping while we're double fisting uh, a monster in one hand and a Red Bull in the other. Honestly, get off your high horses. Recovery is recovery. And thank God for everybody that didn't pick up today. And you know what? Thank God for people who did. Especially if you're listening to that because that means you're still alive and there's still hope. 
So please, get a hold of us. Uh, if you're in our community, uh, the Springfield Recovery Community Center, the number is 417-368-0852. Um, call us, even if you're not in our community, you know, in southwest Missouri, and we will find you treatment to go to. We will find you recovery centers where you can hook up with people. We'll find you meetings all over the place. So please, 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 please reach out. And remember, whether you use today or whether you're sober today, you have value and I love you. In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, there's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can, uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week. Do you feel like you're the only young person who cares about your Catholic faith? Do you look around at mass and only see silver foxes? We're Jake and Kathy, a young adult married couple. And we're here to tell you, you're not alone. That's why it's time to get Truth Pops. You're going to get a podcast designed specifically for you, a young adult Catholic in a pop culture world. The countdown is on for Truth Pop. We'll connect Christ into culture.